Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler. Tennessee. 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 Welcome back to the Tennessee Holler Facebook Live. I'm Holler founder Justin Canoe. We're going to be talking to a friend of mine today who is running to replace somebody that is not a friend of mine. Uh, Elizabeth Madera is running in Williamson County to replace former Speaker Glenn Cassida, who resigned in disgrace. Before we get to that, I just want to tell you we are at tnholler.com, at the tnholler on Twitter and Facebook is where you can find us. We also have a handful of other hollers all throughout the state that's made possible by your generosity. So thank you so much. If you have a few bucks, give it to Liz. If you have a few more, chipping in really helps. Before we get to our interview with Elizabeth today, I just wanted to take a little trip down memory lane and remind everybody who Glenn Cassida is and why it's so important that we replace him. He is my state representative. I'm sure a lot of you who are watching, he's yours also. The man is an absolute embarrassment. He should not be running again, certainly should not be winning again. And uh, let's just go ahead and take a little trip down memory lane and remember a little bit about why this guy is such a terrible representative and so many of the things that he did that are such an embarrassment to a district like ours. Calls for an investigation into a former top aide for Tennessee's House Speaker. Racist and vulgar text messages. Racist text messages. Racist text messages sent by the House Speaker's chief of staff. Black people are idiots. You think that black people are idiots? I'm using thug in words. And I question, is that how they see us? It's shameful. How can you defend that? And in a 2016 exchange with Cassidy himself, Catherine responded with this white people meme. The House Speaker claimed he never got such a text. There's something not right about that story. I'm convinced some, some liberal guy living with his mom and dad in, in their basement created this to frame my chief of staff. I've never in those 10 years seen the man's a liar. Racist or bigoted action out of him. I do not believe those are true. But the day before, Cassidy had his suspicions about the source of the text messages. He knew the whole time. Cassida had even tried to convince talk radio host Phil Valentine that the text had been fabricated. I don't appreciate the fact that it came on my show and lied. Phil's a Republican. Jeremy's a Republican. powerful man in the state of Tennessee was complicit with racism. We're not as stupid as the Speaker's office may think we are. Other texts showed vulgar exchanges about women with the speaker himself. Both men speak of women in vulgar terms. Glenn Cassidy says his lewd texts with former chief of staff Kate Cothran were, quote, locker room talk. The speaker, can I just touch? Cothran, LOL, okay, maybe just once. Cothran also texted, just did a gram of cocaine in my office at 10.38 a.m. on a work day. 
dick. Cocaine on Capitol Hill. Cocaine on the job. Tate Cothran brags about snorting cocaine inside his legislative office. Cassida himself had backed legislation in 2014, cutting off welfare recipients who tested positive for drugs. But in the case of Cothran, who makes $200,000 a year, the House Speaker was more lenient. Our investigation also revealed Cothran may have attempted to have a student activist's mom revoke by framing him for contacting the speaker. Did House Speaker Glenn Cassidy We never got this one resolved. A young activist. Did you send the altered email to the DA's office? It's a simple yes or no question. It was a shock because it was my freedom. If this would have went through to revoke my bond, I would be in jail right now. I know nothing of that. How did that happen? I do not know nothing. Oh, he knew. Nothing of that. Nothing. Speaker Cassidy told us his office did absolutely nothing wrong. Were you trying to frame this young activist? If you want to defend yourself, now's the time. This was an extreme form of, of, of retaliation where you're willing to lie to take away somebody's freedom. Jones says that while former House Speaker Beth Harwell routinely met with his group to hear their concerns, Cassida has refused. There's an extremism. This is a mean group. This is, you see a sort of drunkenness with power. Of course, this follows a legislative session in which Cassida repeatedly dodged questions about allegations that a member of his own party had sexually assaulted. Protecting pedophiles. Did he ever touch you inappropriately? Yes. My breast and below the belt as well. His words were, I want you to feel how you make me feel. I want you to feel it throbbing. His penis was between my butt cheeks. Many in Tennessee assumed that the state representative would step down. In fact, his own party asked. This was how the holler started. Chairman of a key education subcommittee. One of his chief defenders is Tennessee's House Speaker. The House Speaker's response, quote, if I was raped, I would move. If I was raped, I would move and hell would have no fury. Where should we all move? Speaker Cassidy would not speak with CNN on camera. He admitted this on tape. That's what we disagree. He did not admit to it. I've lived with that, and you don't know how hard it has been for me. I'm a, I'm a father of a two-year-old daughter, and I have two daughters myself. So how, Four you, granddaughters. How, how do you sleep in that? He has said publicly that he never met, met with them. He lied. The I have. Have you listened to the victims? Uh, they came into my office. He lied. That's he knows a lie. That's not true. I know it's not true. He's ran ads basically calling us liars. I don't think they're lying. I think they're believing something is not true. Okay, Glenn. To the sides of my breast, underneath my arms. That's something I'm still asking forgiveness for. Liberty and justice for all. You have to step out. By whom? By, by the General Assembly. The Speaker's office. So Speaker Cassidy is kicking out these women? We're not in session. We did not say a word during the meeting. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going first, I guess. I'm, I'm going willingly. You don't have to break my arm. Makes me so angry. That's an hindrance or a distraction has to be moved out of the way. The right to assemble does not guarantee a silent meeting. Silencing dissent. I wanted to continue that announcement. The member is correct. The Supreme Court has said that a vote. Unfinished business. Shoving match involving House Speaker Glenn Cassidy. Democrats tried to walk out. Speaker, though, tried to lock the doors. Why are they allowed out? The lawlessness and the culture of arrogance that we've seen demonstrated throughout this session. House Speaker Glenn Cassidy kept the vote open for 40 the vouchers, minutes. FBI bribing people, legislators about whether any improper so dirty. were offered to pass the bill. Using a slush fund to bribe them. Major vote of the voucher bill 
What do you want? Representative Bob Ramsey from Maryville said the suggestion that's a Republican favorably affect revenue expectations in my district. Eventually, Democrats sent a letter to the U.S. attorney today asking for a full investigation. Surveillance system has been installed. I mean, a dictator. He's a dictator. I'm reading up the statutes. It's a felony. Speaker Cassidy, did you ask him to step down because he voted against vouchers, sir? Why are you protecting? We come God praying that our brothers here who guard this door know that we come in a spirit of nonviolence, but what is violent is racism. What is violent are these policies that deny health care and voting rights. What is violent is that statue that commemorates white supremacy and hatred and, and intolerance. That is violent, oh God. So we pray, God, that you might touch these troopers. We let them know that there were troopers before who stood on the bridge and Selma, God, but you brought them down, God. And there were troopers who stood in the doorsteps of schools, oh God, but you brought them down, oh God. I think it's time to go. Time to move on. Conservative. Republican. Be uh, pulled down by Speaker Cassidy. He needs to step down and as Speaker and then allow Williamson County to find out if they want to keep him as a representative. He willfully lied. If you can't go into his office and trust him to tell you the truth, and walk out of it, then he's the wrong person in that office. He, he should resign. Cassidy also lost support of Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally. If I was in that deep water, I think, I think I'd just go home. I can't believe he hasn't resigned already. It is hard not to wonder if many more voices will join him. If at this point, Glenn Cassidy were a member of your administration or an executive at your company, would, would you call for him to step down? Would you ask him to resign? Uh, I would. Okay, so that's the context in which we now come to interview Elizabeth today. Uh, welcome to the stream, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, wow, that was a lot to be reminded of. I remember following everything last year as it was happening, and oh, that was a big reason why I decided to run. So now um, watching it all again was a good reminder for me too. Yeah, uh, I haven't watched that in a while. It's always a shock how much stuff there is. And honestly, that is not even all of it. There were campaign finance issues. There were other lies he told. You know, he's he's not a good guy. And what ended up happening was for people who aren't familiar with the situation, his own Republican caucus voted for him to step down as speaker. He was the shortest serving speaker in the history of Tennessee and but he's still a state representative and now he is their nominee for this seat yet again so you stepped up to run so appreciate that you did that and I don't want to spend the whole time talking about Glenn Cassidy I want to talk about your campaign but I really do think it's important for people to understand the context that we're in the history of this race the history of this seat and why it's so important that people put their partisan differences aside and vote for somebody who is not going to be a total embarrassment for our district, which Glenn Cassida is. He's an absolute embarrassment. And I hope people will be able to see past that. Now let's talk about your campaign, your race. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and why you decided to run. Yeah. So I have lived in Franklin here in Williamson County since 2008. And I have three kids got that are now eight, five, and three. And a little bit of my backstory is that I actually grew up conservative and evangelical, which 
a lot of times those seem to go together. And um, a big turning point in my political journey and story was Sandy Hook. Um, I was actually a teacher at an elementary school here in Franklin. And my son, our oldest, was six months old at the time. So I was a new mom and a teacher. And I'm sure like you and so many people paying attention completely remember where I was when I heard about the shooting, especially being in a school with young kids, just feeling so grieved and sad, but also really scared that this was getting to be enough commonplace that it could really happen anywhere. And really after that started paying really close attention to politics. And like I said, I had previously voted pretty conservatively and started paying attention to what happened in Washington and at the state house and saw instead of our community, instead of our representatives responding by passing very common sense um, gun legislation that would keep us safe, they ended up bowing to the special interests and the NRA. And to me, I thought, this is ridiculous. This is not, you know, this doesn't speak to being pro-life, you know, as the party claims to be. So that was kind of a big turning point for me in my political journey. And of course, by the time Donald Trump was elected, I thought, oh my goodness, like how how is he getting so much support, especially from evangelicals when his politics were totally contrary to everything I was taught growing up, love your neighbors as yourself, right? And so anyway, Donald Trump's election in 2016 was a, another big moment for me. I think the night after the election, I looked up the Williamson County Democratic Party and went to the first meeting and thought, I have to do something about this. Like we're obviously moving in the wrong direction. And I was very scared as I'm sure lots of people tuning in right now felt very scared. And we obviously <laughs> were scared with good reason with the directions thing have, things have gone. And so after that, I really started paying close attention to things in the state house and in Washington and 2018 knocked on a whole lot of doors for local candidates, including you. <laughs> Thank so, you for that. Yeah. I mean, it was funny. Like my, my kids would be like, if they didn't have school, cause the two youngest just had preschool, like a couple days a week. And I remember my daughter would say, are we knocking on doors today for Justin canoe? <laughs> so, so they got pretty used to talking to voters and being, it was kind of cool to get them a part of the political process and see what it involves. And then I did statewide grassroots organizing for Mayor Pete's campaign. And when he stepped out and it looked like the election was, the presidential election was um, moving towards Joe Biden, I also realized I wanted to keep up my activism and the work. And especially when I realized that the Republican Party didn't put an opponent up against Glenn in the primary, I thought, okay, we need, the Democratic Party needs to have a strong candidate and I'm really determined to run a strong campaign against him to remind people what he did. And also I feel like it's really important in Williamson County that we have this conversation that says, you can be a Christian, you can be a person of faith and be a Democrat and care about people with your policies. Because I feel like for so long, the Republican Party has claimed that they have the corner on faith and religion in their policies. And I just don't think that's true. It's actually my Christian values and faith that are the huge driver of what led me to be consider myself a Democrat. And I think that that's a conversation we have to have across the country. But I think here in my, where I live and where I'm raising my kids, I want that to be something we talk about. Well, I completely agree that Democrats should do more talking about faith and meeting people where they are. This is a faithful country, 75% Christian. Tennessee is number one 
in terms of evangelicals, percentage of evangelicals, which I think is what sets it apart and makes it a little bit of a different story here. Mm -hmm. And I thought Pete did a really good job of doing that in the presidential election. And so it's nice to hear that you two are doing that. I want to ask you a little bit about that, if you don't mind. You must have family that are evangelical and have not had the transformation and journey that you've had. Uh, what do you think the best way to communicate with them is and to get them to see past the letter next to your name? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the first thing is finding commonality with people. I think they're, you know, whether I've talked to voters or people in my family, and even if their politics are different than mine, and the, we will usually find a lot more that we can agree on than we disagree on. Like we agree that people matter. We should love each other. We should take care of each other. We agree in that we should be speaking kindness, that there shouldn't be all of this like partisan fighting back and forth. And it's really interesting when I talk and I think you, I think you saw this. I can't remember if I saw the holler cover this, but recently we just got a statewide poll done. Um, not me, my team, but I saw somebody did it and Gloria Johnson shared it and statewide poll that really showed that the majority of Tennesseans want to expand Medicaid. The majority of Tennesseans want to see the state government do more in terms of infrastructure to supporting people, especially during this time of such historic unemployment, right? And unfortunately, that's not reflected in what's happening at the state house because what's happening at the state house is it's getting more and more extreme and pulled to the right. Whereas so many Tennesseans, Christian or not, or people of different faiths, is that we want to take care of each other with our Medicaid funds. And we need to make sure that people can go to the doctor when they need to. When people find out that rural hospitals are closing um, in Tennessee at faster rate than anywhere else per capita in the country, most people, especially in Williamson County, because we do not currently have this problem, they're really surprised. And if we really call ourselves Christians, then we should make sure that people can be taken care of when they're sick and that we're not, people are not dying without healthcare. That seems really, really basic. We call, you know, Jesus was the great healer. So um, that involves us being the hands and feet of Jesus. If that's what we, you know, if that's what we're claiming our faith is as the state of Tennessee. So I think, and when I think, when I explain to people about Medicaid and what it is and that it's not, you know, I think, the right sometimes uses all these fear tactics in their messaging, but expanding Medicaid is not scary. You know, 39 other states have done it, and it just means that people don't fall in that gap where they can't afford their health care. So why is it that we're at such a deficit with that group? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that what you're saying is true. I believe it in my heart, you know, that the message that Democrats carry is the message of the Bible, caring for the least of these, taking care of your neighbor, taking care of the stranger. Um, yet, you know, the evangelical community seems to be staunchly Republican, siding with a president that is very clearly the least Christian president we've ever had in our entire history. You know, I, I get that the appeal to their better angels, I guess, is the phrase to use and focusing on the things we have in common is probably the, the best strategy. But, you know, part of me just wants to shake them and say, are you serious? You know, uh, do, do you think that what is it that has them so turned off to what we do and how do we address that? Well, I think fear is a really powerful motivator. And I think right now, right-wing media is 
using fear as a motivation to get people to the polls and to change their messaging. And I, you know, I think that I, like, I believe Michelle Obama when she says, when they go low, we go high. And I do not want to be using fear tactics to get people to change their votes. Um, but I do think we need to be willing to have conversations with people and tell them, hey, I, I'm a Democrat and you do not have to be scared of me. I am here to listen to you, to pass policy that is helpful to you and your community. And I think we have to be willing to stand up against that narrative of fear. And I think a lot of it comes back to abortion, unfortunately. And I think there's also a huge misunderstanding of what it means to be pro-life, what it means to be legit making laws around abortion. And I think that Democrats need to um, be willing to talk about it and have conversations with people. Cause it's amazing to me how many people don't realize that abortion rates go down during democratic presidencies and go up during Republican presidencies. And I actually used to be um, a pro-life voter myself. I said I grew up evangelical and conservative. And I actually volunteered at a crisis pregnancy center. Um, and that's where I really saw that these women in crisis pregnancies, the reason the, the women who stayed there and chose to carry their babies to term and parent them is because we got them connected to these public systems like SNAP and WIC and got them enrolled in Medicaid. You know, um, one of my good friends says Medicaid is life. And it's so true. Like we, um, and these are all the programs that are being cut by Republicans. So it's really disingenuous at best to say that the Republican platform is pro-life because it's really just um, when we try to make abortion harder to access and make it illegal, it really doesn't, um, that really doesn't help support women and children and give them the opportunity to maybe choose to carry their children. So I want to be more focused on if we're talking about if we really want to talk about what it means to be pro-life, I think we need to start having that conversation and say, Restricting abortion is not pro-life. Caring for women, children, families throughout their life, that is what it means to really be supportive of life. And those are the policies that are important to me. And, you know, that's that doesn't mean that we're going to, like, turn the tide around in Tennessee and make Tennessee blue if we have this conversation with people. But I think we absolutely have to start having the conversation with people, and preferably not on Facebook, really. You know, like, in person with people, on the phone, and realize that if you talk to Republicans that maybe say, oh, I'm only voting for someone pro-life, but you talk about where your stances are and the things you have in common on the issue, most people are more um, moderate and both sides than we think. And it's not this like, we also have to make sure that people realize this rhetoric of, oh, Democrats want to kill baby in the, in the last month is just completely absurd, total lies. And again, a fear tactic. So we have to be able to change the messaging to these folks. And sorry, I think I got really rambly on there. No, no, it's okay. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to let you go because you said a lot of really important, good things. And I do think Democrats, I think the two things we're talking about here, religion and abortion, we shy away from those things. And when we shy away from them, we end up letting Republicans define our positions on them. Mm -hmm. And what you said is true. What could be more pro-life, quote unquote, than Medicaid, which mm -hmm. takes care of the least of these, is health insurance for our most vulnerable citizens. I know exactly who you're talking about that says Medicaid mm -hmm. is pro-life. She too has had a journey like yours where she converted from voting conservative to being a proud Democrat. And she says that Medicaid is pro-life. It really is. Paid family leave, subsidizing daycare for low-income women, gun 
safety legislation. I mean, you can't just be anti-abortion and call yourself pro-life. We also have a billion dollars that we're rejecting by rejecting Medicaid expansion every single year. That is not pro-life. And that's our tax dollars that we spend anyway. We just lost $50 million to feed poor children because they didn't publicize the program well enough. Another I think another billion dollars in TANF funds that didn't get distributed till somebody found out about it. So, you know, this notion that they are pro-life and Democrats aren't needs to be challenged and you need to do it by talking about it. So I'm really glad to hear that you're talking about it. Your experience at a crisis center is really important. So, you know, I, I definitely appreciate that. And I'm glad that you're talking about that too. Uh, how has it been speaking of pro-life? I mean, they don't seem to bat an eye about 180,000 people dying in a pandemic. You know, now they just want to go on about our business. How has it been running during a pandemic? How has that been challenging for you? Well, I will say this is my first time running for office myself. So there's a steep learning curve in running for office and a steep learning, learning curve in a pandemic. So I guess I get to learn both at the same time. I'm not having to relearn things, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's definitely more of a focus on phone banking and reaching out on social media to people versus knocking on doors. Um, we're still actually going out and leaving literature at people's doors so they can find out more about me. But, you know, we don't want to be violating people's personal space by knocking on their doors if they're trying to be safe. And I'll say in my conversations that I've had with voters, um, you know, especially trying to target swing voters, you know, I think we tend to think that the Republican legislature, the supermajority in Tennessee speaks for all Republicans when they say, like Glenn, for example, has quoted multiple times as saying we've overreacted to COVID, but I'm not finding that when I talk to voters. Most, of course, there are those people who believe that and they tend to be the most vocal, but most people in our community really do want to support mask mandates. They want us to wear masks. They want us to keep teachers and families and children and elderly safe. And so I think that I'm going to I'm going to continue talking about it because I think if we let people continue to be in leadership that aren't taking us seriously, we're just going to lose more lives here in Tennessee. And it's it's really I mean, it really is a crisis of misinformation and um, seeding responsibility when our leaders should be the ones taking care of us. Yes. And our leaders are the ones that are peddling that misinformation. There was just an article about how. 6% of the people who died of COVID died of only COVID and legislators like Jeremy Faison, Jason Zachary, Tim Burchett, and more took that to mean, Oh, the other symptoms are what killed them. Co not COVID. And that is not what that means. It right. just means that COVID was the trigger. And these were people with underlying health conditions and it's why we need to be careful. It didn't change anything, but they take it to mean, oh, this has all been one big hoax. And it's really hard to deal with something when you have people in positions of power amplifying misinformation intentionally to fit their agenda, which is what's been going on since the beginning of this thing and why our outbreak is the worst in the world. So we need people who are gonna be legislating based on evidence, which it sounds like you plan on doing. Uh, you were you were a teacher. Tell me a little bit about you being a teacher. Del dive into that a little bit. Yeah, so that was I. my career choice. My major was Spanish and education. So I've taught in public school and private school, and I'm actually currently teaching at a homeschool tutorial, um, which uh, um, has been really fun and have been allowed 
allowed me to teach two days a week while still being home a lot with my young kids. So it's been nice to be in the classroom a little part time. But I think my time as a teacher has really, really showed me that the laws like the guidelines and the testing, all that kind of stuff that comes from the state is extremely frustrating when it's led by people who have no experience in the classroom. Like we need more legislators who have been teachers, who have been in the classroom that have the experience because to be honest, the mostly men in the state house and in the Senate too, don't have experience teaching and they decide, oh, we're gonna require this testing, require all these things without knowing what it's actually like to be a teacher. And so I think we absolutely need more teachers in the state house. Like Gloria Johnson, think about all the great ways that she pushes for good education policy. And we need people like that. Like Tennessee falls at the bottom of so much. And I think that's because we're letting pol career politicians make decisions instead of teachers. We don't have enough. I see C. Jess Wright saying more teachers and mothers in office. We do I don't think we have any mothers of school-aged children in the legislature right now. I think I saw somebody say that recently, which is a wild statistic. And, not, you know, it, and it, <laughs> what? Actually, never. It's not just now. Like there's never been a mom. It's never happened. That's never incredible. Happened. Yeah. <laughs> that needs to change. Uh, and people need to know that too. So, you know, I definitely appreciate that you're running. I'm glad you're running. I'm going to keep saying it till I'm blue in the face that Glenn Cassida is a dirtbag and has done a lot of terrible, terrible things and shouldn't be running again. The idea that we may put him back there, he's going to lay low. So, you know, and I know Elizabeth is, is trying to be the good guy in this scenario and probably rightfully so, although I've, you know, I, I've been pushing to, you know, have people speak out about this guy, but people who are watching this, please tell the rest of the people in your world and orbit uh, what this guy has done. Show them this interview because we have seven minutes at the beginning of this interview of what he has done. Ask them to watch this so that they can see it because people need to be reminded because everybody's memory is very short these days. There's a constant influx of information. It's hard to remember. So we need to remind him what he did for the next 30 days, 60 days, however long it is. And, you know, I appreciate that you're running as a final thing here, Elizabeth, uh, how can people help you and, and what's your message to them? Yes, there's so many ways to get involved across the state. If you're local, we um, every Saturday morning at nine o'clock, we do lit drops where we go and bring um, literature to different different neighborhoods. Um, but the biggest thing across the state is donations. This is the age of digital ads. We actually just launched a big digital ad campaign yesterday. So if you're able to donate, I think somebody on my team is probably putting the link in the comments where you can donate, but you can also phone bank from anywhere. And every Tuesday evening you can find on my Facebook page, we've got signups where people can phone bank from anywhere. Cause it's so important that we start having these conversations with people. And um, yeah, I think those are the, the big things now, but yeah, please go to my website and all my social handles is the same Elizabeth for TN and that's F O R T N. Um, and then you can find out ways to get involved, to volunteer. We can use all the help we can get. Cause yeah, we definitely need to, now that we're like coming up on after labor day, it's the time to blow up everybody's phones with reminders about Glenn and the, the option they have in me. And then also to get into their mailbox with mail. And it's time to remind everybody because it's coming up really quickly and it's, 
you know, there's a big lead up in elections, but these last six. It's going to go quick. It's going to go quick. I, I, I definitely can tell you that it goes quick at the end from when I ran for Congress. That's what I remember about it. Uh, Wright is asking, do you also text bank? Oh yes, we do. We just got texting in the past couple of weeks. So yeah, absolutely. If you, um, if you, you can sign up on the website, there's like a little area where you can share what you're interested in and you can let us know that you're interested in text banking and we can have you do that too. So okay. I'll got all the technology these, during this pandemic. Jess says she'll sign up. We got you a text banker. Yes. If nothing else out of this interview, we got you a text banker. Elizabeth, good luck to you. Thank you for, for running. And uh, please don't hesitate to remind people of what a jerk Glenn Cassida is. That's all I ask. And I will be doing it too. Uh, stay in, yeah, absolutely. Stay in touch. Take care. And uh, we'll be back at 2 p.m. with our holler hour. If anybody has anything they want to say, you can message us for the link and jump in to the broadcast and holler about anything you want, no matter if you agree with us or disagree with us. That's at 2 p.m. today. We usually do it Thursdays. We're doing it Wednesday this week. So, Stick around in 90 minutes. We'll see you then. Elizabeth, thank you. Thank you so much.